Good afternoon, my brothers and my sisters. Thank you, Lord. We're going to focus on that Luke 10 and 29. I want us to draw our minds in. I want us to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. So whatever it is that you brought in with you, whatever situations or issues are attempting to remain on your mind right now, I just want you to release that thing. Just, just release it because we want the Holy Spirit to have his way. Anybody ready for the Holy Spirit to move in this place? I can't speak for anybody else in here, but I'm desperate. I just need God to do some things. I need to hear the word of the Lord. I need God to shift some things in my life. And I'm too desperate to allow anything else to pull my attention away. Let's look at Luke 10 and 29. It simply says, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Today I want to minister to you about the Good Samaritan, the traveler, and the neighbor. Now, for any of us in here as ministers of the gospel, I want us to know that there will absolutely be times that we experience attack. It's while in mid-stride of answering the call that there will be times we feel stripped and times that we feel battered. And perhaps the most amazing thing is that you're shocked when it seems as if your vulnerability or your pain goes unnoticed. Mm. And maybe what makes it even worse is when you're not going unnoticed, but instead it seems as if your pain is looked over. It's in such times that internalizing falsehoods of low self-worth and incompetence can step in. But I love it that the person of Jesus testifies that how someone else treats you is never an indication of your worth or your status. Let's look to Jesus. Let's look to Jesus. Uh, they looked at him and said he cast out devils by the devil, but it did not make him any less the son of God. He came unto his own and his own received him not, but he was still the visible image of the invisible God. It matters not what they have said about you. And baby, I came to tell you, it don't even matter what you're trying to tell yourself about you. You are still called you are still chosen and baby you're still worth it mm. I love it that even more so the life of Jesus reveals that our decision to show empathy toward those who hurt us blesses both the hurt and those who cause the hurting now now I know that your pride would call that real foolish and your pain would call that real reckless but our Father, he calls it love. Mm. If you look even deeper, you'll find that a deficit in love can often be traced back to a deficit in empathy. Luke 10 and 25, we heard an expert in the law testing Jesus, asking him the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, being who he is, simply turns the question right back on the lawyer, to which the lawyer responds, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, yeah, you do this and you will live. But then in an effort to justify his lack of love for others, the lawyer then turns and asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
oftentimes our questions answer so much more about ourselves than we realize. It's through this question that Jesus takes the time to survey the heart of the lawyer. And he happens upon a love situation that this man is having difficulty loving the Samaritans. You know, those half Jew, half Gentiles that the Jewish people so deeply hated. The lawyer struggled to love his Samaritan neighbor perhaps because he never considered taking the time to see through the eyes of his neighbor, to hear through the ears of his neighbor, to walk through the shoes of his neighbor. And anything I do not set myself to understand, I thereby set myself against. And so it is from here that we step into the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, we've been taught since we were children from Sunday school to Sunday service as to how to be the Good Samaritan. We've colored pictures of the Good Samaritan. We've heard the preached word about the Good Samaritan. But nobody ever stopped and told us that, baby, there are times that you're going to have to learn how to be the beat up, wounded, looked over, passed by, and left for dead traveler. Watch this. Without losing faith and without becoming bitter, that is the real challenge. Mm. The truth of the matter is there are many wounded travelers right in the pulpit. The truth of the matter is there are many stripped travelers right in the pulpit. We've been stripped of everything but the clergy collar and we're preaching and hurting and preaching and bleeding and at the same time feeling so looked over. Verse 30 says a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. They stripped him of his clothes beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, I can imagine this man lying by the side of the road, half dead, and yet thinking about his life. I have never heard someone with a near-death experience utter the words, I hate the person who did this to me. It's quite the contrary. With tears in their eyes, you often hear those who are facing death say things like, all I could think about were my babies. Or maybe you heard the words, I saw my life flash before my eyes. Or maybe you heard someone say something like, I simply needed God to forgive me of my sins. Because when facing death, their focus was not hate toward others but instead concern for themselves and the ones they love. Think about the lawyer who asked the question, who's my neighbor? One day he himself was on his own deathbed. And during that time, I guarantee you, he was not thinking about his deep hatred for the Samaritan people. In the end, our thoughts are not what others have done to us but what we've done and those who we love that matter the most. Now watch this. If hate is the last thing that any rational person thinks of when they are dying, why would it be the first thing for the living? Perhaps it's because we feel as if we have so much time left to continue living and thereby be picky with our loving while resisting forgiving. Now, because the traveler in the parable was not Jesus, 
the traveler was not perfect. <laughs> no traveler is perfect. Whether or not you have an MDiv or a DDiv. <laughs> Baby, it matters not if you call yourself a minister, an apostle, a bishop, an evangelist, whatever that you may call yourself to. No traveler is perfect. Now, because we are imperfect, when we're wrong, empathy says it's always possible to see our imperfections and even our sinfulness in the person who has wronged us. Almost like you're looking in a mirror. As painful as it was to be knocked over, looked over, and walked over, every traveler should understand that different circumstances in life could have very well made the traveler the robber and the robber the traveler. Different situations could have made the preacher the dope pusher and the dope pusher the preacher. A different upbringing could have caused the murderer to become the man of God and the man of God to instead be the murderer. Because until the Lord returns, there is only one thing that we are perfect in, and that is being perfectly imperfect. No, I hear what you're thinking. The pain of rejection and being attacked or misused is not lessened by the realization that we are imperfect. But it is our imperfections that create a common ground for all of humanity to facilitate empathy. My brothers and my sisters were all travelers. And in some case, we have all been robbers. We have all succumbed to the hurt of someone else and we have all hurt others. Our humanity is so amazing. It's held together by such a thread, but the thread is so uniquely beautiful and yet with the propensity to be so terribly bad. It's so precious and yet given the right conditions, so downright pitiful. We are so made in his image and yet so very sin-stained. I came to tell you that just as wonderful as we are is just as woeful as we are. And I know we in seminary and we love God and we love the word of God and yet there is not a person on earth that we should not be able to in some way empathize with. And because I can empathize with every person on earth, there should not be one person on earth I cannot bring myself to love. Who better to introduce human connectedness than the embodiment of empathy himself, Jesus the Christ. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not and so we give God thanks for Jesus Christ, who's both the traveler and the good Samaritan. The same Jesus who noticed and tended to other travelers was also the good Samaritan. Jesus was the good Samaritan that brought sight to blind travelers. Jesus was the good Samaritan who delivered demoniac travelers. Jesus was the good Samaritan who made whole the bloody travelers. Jesus was the good Samaritan who healed the lame travelers. Jesus was the good Samaritan who raised up the dead travelers. Jesus was the good Samaritan. And yet in answering his call, the same Jesus was also the traveler, so badly attacked, so beaten and whipped, 
that he was an unrecognizable mangled mass of flesh. Jesus was also the traveler who was looked over as all but one of his disciples abandoned him as he hung on the cross. Jesus was the traveler stripped of every last article of clothing, suspended between heaven and earth. But while he's hanging there, I believe Jesus orchestrated it that he would not be there alone. It's in his hour of death that the same Jesus who has shown himself to be the good Samaritan and the same Jesus who has shown himself to be the wounded traveler now models what it is to be the neighbor. Two criminals hung on either side of the Holy One. One of the criminals hanging next to Jesus tries to convince him, save the day. If you're the Messiah, save yourself and us. Truth be told, Jesus Christ could have stepped down from that cross and done exactly that. But had he done that, he would have not saved us, and so he remains there on the cross as a good neighbor. Likewise, the penitent criminal hanging on the other side of Jesus does not take time to complain to Jesus about his upbringing or about his resentments, or about how much he hates those who are crucifying him. It was imminent death that caused a reckless man to reach out to his neighbor and acknowledge God and acknowledge his own sins and thereby receive salvation. I want you to picture this. We got three men hanging nearby one another, but they're all in very different places. Only one was guiltless. One was guilty with a repentant heart and the other was guilty with a cold heart as if he were already dead. Now, it is the tradition of my preaching friends and I to stop in the middle of a sermon and say, turn and tell your neighbor. We like to do that. We have a good time with it. I, I want you to picture this. I want you to picture them being so close that they could turn and tell your neighbor whatever it is that they wanted to say in that hour. They could have turned and told Jesus anything that was on their heart, anything that was on their mind. Now, as for the two criminals, this may have been the only time in their lives that someone was able to look past their sin and love them as a neighbor. Mm, Jesus turns and tells the penitent neighbor, today you're going to be with me in paradise. I love this because for Jesus too has lived his life having experienced the trauma of a traveler and yet have loved to be a good neighbor. It shows us that the intensity of hell we go through can become the level of empathy we grow to. I found out something, y'all. I found out that Jesus is nearer to me than those two who hang near to him on the cross. And I cannot tell you how many times I've had to turn and tell my Jesus about my life. I've had to turn and tell my Jesus about my pain. I've had to turn and tell my Jesus about my joy. I've had to turn and tell my Jesus about my frustration. When is the last time you turned and told your Jesus about what you're going through? When is the last time you've been brokenhearted and realized that Jesus is a real good neighbor, that he's near 
near to the brokenhearted. When is the last time you opened up your mouth not to preach to somebody else, but to look at Jesus and realize that if you open up your mouth, he is near, ready to hear and ready to answer. Have you ever realized that God is so close? You don't have to go to the next room and you didn't have to wait until you came to chapel today. But he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you would just come and let me in, I'll sup with you and you can sup with me. When's the last time you called on your neighbor? He's a real good neighbor. Christ lived as a good Samaritan. He endured as a traveler. He hung as a neighbor, but he never stopped being our savior. And when we lived like bandits, I love it that even when we were the robbers and we, we were the ones who were doing others wrong, that he says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ah, baby, this is called good news right here. If you need loving care, if you need someone to relate to, if you need someone to stick close to, Jesus said, I'm the good Samaritan. I am the traveler and I am the neighbor. And I like it that this is good news that's not just for a Sunday morning service. And this is not good news that's just for a Wednesday night Bible study. This is good news for you all who are working full time and trying to hold everything together when it seems like nothing is holding you together. This is good news for those of you all who are struggling emotionally and mentally while trying to succeed academically. Baby, this is real good news for you. This is good news for you who are struggling with your relationships. You're ministering to other marriages while your own marriages is tipsy. I came to tell you this is good news. You have a good Samaritan. You got a traveler. You got a neighbor and you have a savior. He says, I'm here for you. I'm nearer than you think. I am so much closer than you realize. And you don't have to wait for anybody else. I'm here for you right now. I think sometimes we miss that. We're, we're so in tune to what everyone else needs and, and their, 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 their necessities in life and, and everything that you've got to pour out to everyone else and you forget that you need to be poured into. I read a story about an eight-year-old little boy who lived in a real small town. And one night, the house caught on fire while he and his family were sleeping. And the little boy stood outside of his window, screaming for help. Somebody help me. There was a man who was walking past just happened to hear the little boy crying out. And he climbed the rain cutter pipe up to where the boy was and he pulled the little boy to safety. It was in the process of the rescue that the pipe was so hot that it severely burned the man's hands. The boy's parents were killed in the fire. There were no remaining living relatives to raise the boy and take custody of him. So the boy was going to be put up for adoption. Now there were several good people who wanted to adopt the boy. One person showed up was a minister. Another showed up was a school teacher. Another showed up was a lawyer. 
And the judge decided, I'm just going to let the boy decide what family he wants to go live with. But then there was one other man who showed up. He was a mechanic, didn't have a whole lot of money, didn't have a whole lot of education. And he also wanted to adopt the boy. He just happened to be the same man who rescued the little boy. So the judge said, which one do you choose? Which one do you want to go live with? The little boy said, if you could have everyone, show me their hands. So the minister took out his hands, showed the little boy. The teacher took out his hands, showed the little boy. The lawyer took out his hands and showed the little boy. And finally, the mechanic took out his wounded, scarred hands and showed the little boy. And the little boy said, I choose him. This is the one I choose because I see that he can feel me. I see that he experienced what I went through. I see that he can empathize me. I choose him. And this is what I want us to know as we get into the habit of studying God's word and the unfortunate habit of studying just to go and pour out to someone else. I want us to know that God's love is for you too. Those nail-scarred hands are a sign that Jesus Christ has an unrelenting connection to you. Don't you get it? His pain had to be so enormous so that his empathy could be so enormous. Two average-sized hands with enough empathy to look at the whole world and tell the whole world, I feel you. I gave my life for you. They shoved a crown of thorns upon his head. Oh my God, and as blood is trickling down his face, the Lord says, I see you, all of you. I see the broken you. I see the hurting you. I see the looked over you. I see the stepped over you. Jesus says, I see you. And for those of you who feel as if you have difficulty keeping up the strength to continue walking, Jesus says, I feel you too. Pointing at Simon of Cyrene, he says, I've been there. You have a high priest who can empathize with you. And the Lord says today, you don't have to succumb to your wounds. You don't have to lay there hopeless. You don't have to lay there wondering when somebody's going to notice you. As he held his hands out to you, he says, I see you. I see you now right where you are. I see you trying to keep on a brave face. I see you right now trying to make everybody else think it's okay. I see you right now trying to make your children feel as if everything's going to be all right when you don't know yourself if it's going to be the Lord says I see you and because I see you I want to minister to you right there in that place I don't want to wait until you speak in another language I want to minister to you now while you're broken I don't want to wait till you get in a pulpit I want to minister to you right now in your hurting place I don't want to wait till you get a microphone in your hand let my spirit minister to you the Lord says he was wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are. We preach these things to so many others. When's the last time you received it for yourself? Do you know you have a Jesus who's a good Samaritan to you? Do you know you have a Jesus who has endured as a traveler just for you? Do you know you have a Jesus who knows what it means to suffer for you. 
so that he could be a neighbor to you. He's near even now. I want to take this opportunity for anyone who is willing to stand up on your feet and come to this altar if you feel as if the Lord is calling you right now. Don't let it be said too late. He says, I've got the oil for your scars. There's a balm in Gilead. There is a physician there. The Lord says, I can heal you right where you are. That's the kind of Savior that we have. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We bless you, Father, that even as your presence is here, it remains so near to us in a tangible way. We feel your presence. We feel your love. We feel your joy. We feel your peace. There's some hell we've been going through, but there's hope standing right by the hell. There's some pain we've suffered, but we see purpose right beside the pain. You are our savior, our keeper, our redeemer, our Lord, our strong tower, our hope giver. You are the one that we look to when all else has failed. We simply needed something to push us through, we thought, for the next semester. But we thank you that you're bringing us even into the next phase of our life, the next leg of our journey. We're not by ourselves. We're not alone. We've never been alone. You've never been alone. The Lord says, even now, even now, you're here. Even now, even now, even now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. The Holy Spirit is ministering even now. Even now, even now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless your name for what you are doing. We bless your name for what you have already done. And we bless your name for what you're going to do. Father, as you survey the heart of the lawyer, we ask that you survey every heart in this room. Any heart in hearts, we're asking that you do supernatural divine surgery. Any broken hearts, we ask that as the party that you are, you piece us back together again. Any hearts that feel hopeless, Father, we ask that as only you can, strengthen and encourage. Survey our hearts. Survey our hearts. And have your way in us. We can't do this without you. We're not intelligent enough. We're not strong enough. We don't have enough degrees. 
We can't make it without you. So come on in, God. Not just to help us preach, not to help us teach, but to help us to live this thing, to live life and that more abundant, to not preach and be miserable, not lead and be lost ourselves. In the name of Jesus, we give you thanks. We bless you, Father. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, Lord.